Chapter Seven of the First Violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The First Violin by Jesse Fothergill. Chapter Seven. Anna Sartorius. I was expected. That was very evident. An excited-looking Dingemenschen opened the door, and on seeing me, greeted me as if I had been an old friend. I was presently rescued by Merrick, also looking agitated. Oh, Miss Wedderburn, at last you are here. How Miss Hallam is worried, to be sure. I could not help it. I'm very sorry, said I, following her upstairs, up a great many flights of stairs, as it seemed to me, till she ushered me into a sitting-room where I found Miss Hallam. Thank heaven, child, you are here at last. I was beginning to think that if you did not arrive by this train, I must send someone to Cologne to look after you by this train i repeated blankly miss hallam what do you mean there has only been one train two there was one at four and one at six i cannot tell you how uneasy i have been at your non-appearance then then i stammered growing hot all over oh how horrible what is horrible she demanded and you must be starving merrick go and see about something to eat for miss wedderburn now she added as her maid left the room tell me what you have been doing i told her everything concealing nothing most annoying she remarked a gentleman you say my dear child no gentleman would have done anything of the kind i'm very sorry for it all miss hallam i implored almost in tears please do not tell any one what has happened to me i will never be such a fool again i know now and you may trust me but do not let any one know how stupid i have been i told you i was stupid i told you several times i am sure you must remember oh yes i remember we will say no more about it and the grey shawl said i merrick had it i lifted my hands and shrugged my shoulders just my luck i murmured resignedly as merrick came in with a tray miss hallam i noticed continued to regard me now and then as i ate with but small appetite i was too excited by what had passed and by what i had just heard to be hungry i thought it kind merciful humane in her promise to keep my secret and not expose my ignorance and stupidity to strangers it is evident she remarked that you must at once begin to learn german and then if you do get lost at a railway station again you will be able to ask your way merrick shook her head with an inexpressibly bitter smile i defy any one to learn this ere language ma'am they call an accident an ungluk if any one could tell me what that means i'd thank them that's all don't express your opinion merrick unless you wish to seem deficient in understanding but go and see that miss wedderburn has everything she wants or rather everything that can be got in her room she is tired and she shall go to bed i was only too glad to comply with this mandate but it was long ere i slept i kept hearing the organ in the cathedral and that voice of the invisible singer seeing the face beside me and hearing the words then you have decided that i am to be trusted and he was deceiving me all the time i thought mournfully i breakfasted by myself the following morning in a room called 
the Speisesaal. I found I was late. When I came into the room about nine o'clock, there was no one but myself to be seen. There was a long table with a white cloth upon it, and rows of the thickest cups and saucers it had ever been my fate to see, with distinct evidences that the chief party of the company had already breakfasted. Baskets full of brodkin and pots of butter, a long india-rubber pipe coming from the gas to light a tea lots of cane-bottomed chairs, an open piano, two cages with canaries in them, the kettle gently simmering above the gas flame, for the rest silence and solitude. I sat down, having found a clean cup and plate, and glanced timidly at the tea not daring to cope with its mysteries, until my doubts were relieved by the entrance of a young person with a trim little figure, a coquettishly cut and elaborately braided apron, and a white frilled Morganauber upon her hair, surmounting her round, heavenward aspiring visage. Guten Morgen, Fräulein, she said as she marched up to the darkly mountainous Timischkina and began deftly to prepare coffee for me and to push the Brodkin towards me. She began to talk to me in broken English, which was very pretty, and while I ate and drank, she industriously scraped little white roots at the same table. She told me she was Clara, the niece of Frau Steinmann, and that she was very glad to see me, but was very sorry I had had so long to wait in Cologne yesterday. She liked my dress, and was it echt English? Also, how much did it cost? She was a cheery little person, and I liked her. She seemed to like me, too, and repeatedly said she was glad I had come. She liked dancing, she said, did I, and she had lately danced at a ball with someone who danced so well, Eber, quite indescribably well. His name was Karl Linders, and he was, ach, a really remarkable person. A bright blush and a little sigh accompanied the remark. Our eyes met, and from that moment Clara and I were very good friends. I went upstairs again and found that Miss Hallam proposed during the forenoon to go and find the eye hospital, where she was to see the oculist, and arrange for him to visit her, and shortly after eleven we set out. The street that I had so dimly seen the night before showed itself by daylight to be a fair broadway. Down the middle, after the pleasant fashion of continental towns, was a broad walk, planted with two double rows of lindens, and on either side of this linden alley was the carriage road, private houses, shops, exhibitions, boarding houses. In the middle, exactly opposite our dwelling, was the new theatre, just drawing to the close of its first season. I looked at it without thinking much about it. I had never been in a theatre in my life, and the name was just a name to me. Turning off from the pretty alley, and from the green hop garden which bounded it at one end, we entered a narrow, ill-paved street, the aspect of whose gutters and inhabitants alike excited my liveliest disgust. In this street was the eye hospital, as was presently testified to us by a board bearing the inscription Stasische Augenklinik. We were taken to a dimly-lighted room in which many people were waiting, some with bandages over their eyes, others with all kinds of extraordinary spectacles on which made them look like phantasms out of a bad dream, nearly all more or less blind, and the effect was surprisingly depressing. Presently Miss Hallam and Merrick were admitted to an inner room, 
and I was left to await their return. My eyes strayed over the different faces, and I felt a sensation of relief when I saw someone come in without either bandage or spectacles. The newcomer was a young man of middle height, and of proportions slight without being thin. There was nothing the matter with his eyes, unless perhaps a slight short-sightedness. He had, I thought, one of the gentlest, most attractive faces I had ever seen. Boyishly open and innocent at the first glance, at the second, indeed with a certain recent calm and intellectual radiance, which took away from the first youthfulness of his appearance, soft yet luminous brown eyes, loose brown hair hanging round his face, a certain manner which, for me at least, had a charm were the characteristics of this young man. He carried a violin case, removed his hat as he came in, and, being seen by one of the young men who sat at desks, took names down and attended to people in general, was called by him. Herr Helfen, Herr Friedhelm Helfen. Ja, hier, he answered, going up to the desk, upon which there ensued a lively conversation, though carried on in a low tone, after which the man at the desk presented a white card to Herr Friedhelm Helfen, and the latter, with a pleasant idiom, went out of the room again. Miss Hallam and Merrick presently returned from the consulting-room, and we went out of the dark room into the street, which was filled with spring sunshine and warmth, a contrast something like that between Miss Hallam's life and my own, I have thought since. Far before us, hurrying on, I saw the young man with the violin-case. He turned off by the theatre, and went in at the side-door. And I was wandering in the hot garden, my first view of the Rhine, a dull, flat stream it looked too. I have seen it since then in mightier flow. Then we came home, and it was decided that we should dine together with the rest of the company at one o'clock. A bell rang at a few minutes past one. We went downstairs into the room in which I had already breakfasted, which in general was known as the Saal. As I entered with Miss Hallam, I was conscious that a knot of lads, or young men, stood aside to let us pass, and then giggled and scuffled behind the door before following us into the salle. Two or three ladies were already seated, and an exceedingly stout lady ladled out soup at a side-table, while Clara and a servant-woman carried the plates round to the different places. The stout lady turned as she saw us and greeted us. She was Frau Steinmann, our hostess. She waited until the youths before spoken of had come in, and with a great deal of noise had seated themselves, when she began, aided by the soup-ladle, to introduce us all to one another. We, it seemed, were to have the honour and privilege of being the only English ladies of the company. We were introduced to one or two others, and I was assigned a place by a lady introduced as Fräulein Anna Sartorius a brunette, rather stout, with large dark eyes, which looked at me in a way I did not like, a head of curly black hair cropped short, an odd, brusque manner, and a something peculiar, or, as she said, Selton in her dress. This young lady sustained the introduction with self-possession and calm. It was otherwise with the young gentleman, who appeared decidedly mixed. There were some half-dozen of them in all, a couple of English, the rest German, Dutch, and Swedish. I had never been in company with so many nationalities before, and was impressed needlessly so. 
all these young gentlemen made bows which were in their respective ways triumphs of awkwardness with the exception of one of our compatriots who appeared to believe that himself and his manners were formed to charm and subdue the opposite sex we then sat down and fräulein sartorius immediately opened a conversation with me sprechen sie deutsch fräulein was her first venture and having received my admission that i did not speak a word of it she continued in good english now i can talk to you without offending you it is so dreadful when english people who don't know german persist in thinking that they do there was an englishwoman here who always said were when she meant where and wo when she meant who she said the sounds confused her the boys giggled at this but the joke was lost upon me what is your name she continued i didn't catch what frau steinmann said may wedderburn i replied angry with myself for blushing so excessively as i saw that all the boys held their spoons suspended listening for my reply may das hat mai said she turning to the assembled youths who testified that they were aware of it and the dutch boy brinks inquired gutturally you have one song in your language what calls itself my have you not yes said i and all the boys began to giggle as if something clever had been said taken all in all what tortures have i not suffered from those dreadful boys shy when they ought to have been bold and bold where a modest retiringness would better become them giggling inanely at everything and nothing noisy and vociferous among themselves or with inferiors shy awkward and blushing with ladies or in refined society distressing my feeble efforts to talk to them by their silly explosions of laughter when one of them was addressed they formed the bane of my life for some time will you let me paint you said fräulein sartorius whose big eyes had been surveying me in a manner which made me nervous paint me your likeness i mean you are very pretty and we do not see that colour of hair here are you a painter no i'm only a student yet but i paint for models well will you sit for me oh i don't know if i have time perhaps what will you do to make you not have time i did not feel disposed to gratify her curiosity and said i did not know yet what i should do for a short time she asked no more questions then do you like town or country best i don't know i have never lived in a town do you like amusements concerts and theatre and opera i don't know i was reluctantly obliged to confess for i saw that the assembled youths though not looking at me openly and apparently entirely engrossed with their dinners were listening attentively to what passed you don't know repeated fräulein sartorius quickly seeing through my thin assumption of indifference and proceeding to draw me out as much as possible i wished adelaide had been there to beat her from the field she would have done it better than i could no because i have never been to any haven't you how odd how very odd isn't it strange she added appealing to the boys fräulein has never been to a theatre or a concert i disdained to remark that my words were being perverted but the game instinct rose in me raising my voice a little i remarked 
it is evident that i have not enjoyed your advantages but i trust that the gentleman with a bow to the listening boys will make allowances for the difference between us the young gentleman burst into a chorus of delighted giggles and anna shooting a rapid glance at me made a slight grimace but looked not at all displeased i was though mightily but elate with victory i turned to my compatriot at the other end of the table and asked him at what time of the year elbertal was pleasantest oh said he it's always pleasant to me but that's owing to myself i make it so just then several of the other lads rose pushing their chairs back with a great clatter bowing to the assembled company and saying gesegnete mahlzeit as they went out why are they going and what do they say i inquired of miss sartorius who replied quite amiably they are students at the realschule they have to be there at two o'clock and they say blessed be the meal-time as they go out do they how nice i could not help saying would you like to go for a walk this afternoon said she oh very much i had exclaimed before i remembered that i did not like her and did not intend to like her if miss hallam can spare me i added oh i think she will i shall be ready at half-past two then we shall return for coffee at four i will knock at your door at the time on consulting miss hallam after dinner i found that she was quite willing for me to go out with anna and at the time appointed we set out anna took me a tour round the town showed me the lions and gave me topographical details she showed me the big plain of the barrack and the desert waste of the exertia platz spreading before it she did her best to entertain me and i with a childish prejudice against her abrupt manner and the free somewhat challenging look of her black eyes was reserved unresponsive stupid i took a prejudice against her i own it and for that and other sins committed against a woman who would have been my friend if i would have let her i say humbly mea culpa it seems a dull kind of a place said i it need not be you have advantages here which you can't get everywhere i have been here several years and as i have no other home i think i shall live here oh indeed you have a home i suppose of course brothers and sisters two sisters i replied mightily ruffled by what i chose to consider her curiosity and impertinence though when i looked at her i saw what i could not but confess to be a real and not unkind interest in her plain face and big eyes ah i have no brothers and sisters i have only a little house in the country and as i have always lived in a town i don't care for the country it is so lonely the people are so stupid too not always though you were offended with me at dinner nicht wahr oh dear no i said very awkwardly and very untruly the truth was i did not like her and was too young too ignorant and gawky to try to smooth over my dislike i did not know the pain i was giving and if i had should perhaps not have behaved differently Doch she said smiling but i did not know what a child you were or i should have let you alone more offended than ever i maintained silence 
if i were certainly touchy and ill to please fräulein sartorius it must be owned did not know how to apologize gracefully i have since with wider knowledge of her country and its men and women got to see that what made her so inharmonious was that she had a woman's form and a man's disposition and love of freedom as her countrywomen taken in the gross are the most utterly in bonds of any women in europe this spoiled her life in a manner which cannot be understood here where women in comparison are free as air and gave no little of the brusqueness and roughness to her manner in an enlightened english home she would have been an admirable firm clever woman here she was that most dreadful of all abnormal growths a woman with a will of her own what do they do here i inquired indifferently oh many things though it is not a large town there is a school of art which brings many painters here there are a hundred and fifty besides students and you are a student yes one must have something to do some career though my countrywomen say not i shall go away for a few months soon but i am waiting for the last great concert it will be the paradise lost of rubenstein ah yes said i politely but without interest i had never heard of rubenstein and the velerinus paradise before the furor of eighteen seventy six how many scores of provincial english women had there is very much music here she continued are you fond of it yes i can't play much but i can sing i have come here partly to take singing lessons so who is the best teacher was my next ingenuous question she laughed that depends upon what you want to learn there are so many violin clavier that is piano flute cello everything oh i replied and asked no more questions about music but inquired if it were pleasant at frau steinmann's she shrugged her shoulders is it pleasant anywhere i don't find many places pleasant because i cannot be a humbug so others do not like me but i believe some people like elbertol very well there is the theatre that makes another element and there are the soldiers and kaufleute merchants i mean so you see there is variety though it is a small place ah yes i said looking about me as we passed down a very busy street and i glanced to right and left with the image of eugen courvoisier ever distinctly if unconfessedly present to my mental view did he live in elbertal and if so did he belong to any of those various callings what was he an artist who painted pictures for his bread i thought that very probable there was something free and artist-like in his manner in his loose waving hair and in his keen susceptibility to beauty i thought of his emotion at hearing that glorious bach music or was he a musician what anna sartorius called i'm a musica but no my ideas of musicians were somewhat hazy as to say utterly chaotic they embraced only two classes those who performed or gave lessons and those who composed i had never formed to myself the faintest idea of a composer and my experience of teachers and performers was limited to one specimen mr smythe of darton whose method of performances 
would as i have since learned have made the hair of a musician stand orange on end no i did not think he was a musician an actor perish the thought was my inevitable mental answer how should i be able to make any better one a soldier then at that moment we met a mounted campaign of ulla's harness clanking accoutrements rattling he was apparently an acquaintance of my companion for he saluted with a grave politeness which sat well upon him decidedly eugen courvoisier had the air of a soldier that accounted for all no doubt he was a soldier in my ignorance of the strictness of german military regulations as regards the wearing of uniform i overlooked the fact that he had been in civilian's dress and remained delighted with my new idea captain courvoisier what is the german for captain i inquired abruptly hauptmann thank you hauptmann eugen courvoisier a noble and a gallant title and one which became him how much is a thaler was my next question it is as much as three shillings in your money oh thank you said i and did a little sum in my own mind at that rate then i owed herr courvoisier the sum of ten shillings how glad i was to find it came within my means as i took off my things i wondered whether herr courvoisier would make out his accounts i trusted soon End of chapter 7